Hi. All right, there we go. The live stream has started. You're with Dave Pello, and this is Pello Talk on the Good Source channels. Uh, tonight, I've got joining me uh, live uh, from his studio in his home, uh, Heston Russell, the Australian Values candidate uh, and um, the Australian Values Party founder as well. Uh, now, I've got a lot of respect for Heston and I was immediately attracted to what he said about the party when I heard him speak at the Australian Christian Lobby Forum. Uh, sadly, I had to leave halfway through the event um, because of some other shows and commitments that I had to produce and, and race back to the studio here that night. Uh, but it got back to me that um, his answer on a question regarding Israel Falau uh, perhaps wasn't the most reassuring possible. So I uh, chased uh, the Australian Christian Lobby and they graciously supplied me uh, some of the video clips from that night, including that answer. Um, and Heston spent a lot of time essentially disagreeing with Israel Folau, uh, but ultimately saying that he did believe in free speech. Um, it didn't make me comfortable, though, because even the Labor Party and Greens say they believe in, believe in freedom of religion and speech. But what they actually mean when they say that is a very different kettle of fish to what you and I and most right-thinking people mean when they say we believe in freedom of speech. Uh, also circulating the internet, courtesy of a couple of the Lying Harlot Media's uh, publications, is some naked photos of Heston. And I published those also at the end of the video uh, and later found out that they were subject to criminal complaints against the ABC. So I deleted the whole thing because it wasn't able to separate them. Uh, and tonight we're going one better. And we're actually speaking to Heston Russell live and asking him the questions directly uh, about his values on free speech, his values on religious liberty, uh, the discrimination industry, and also... Uh, those photos, if they're part of that value set that a values voter attracted to the name of the Australian Values Party might be inadvertently voting for. But we're not going to reach any conclusions. We're going to let him speak for himself. Let me give a bit of context here. When Donald Trump was running for the pre-selection uh, to represent the Republican Party as their presidential candidate, I didn't like the man at all. Because of his values, he was a Hillary Clinton donor. Um, he was a, a pretty well-reputed or ill-reputed uh, womanizer. And he had been fairly pro-abortion until about five minutes before the uh, American Republican presidential primaries. In my mind, there were at least two or three, if not the entire field of better candidates. That was my personal opinion. Now, when the primaries finished, uh, he was the candidate and it was him or Hillary. So I you know, threw my wholehearted support behind him because pretty much better anybody than a sociopathic baby killer like Hillary Clinton. But what we actually saw from Donald Trump was somebody who was not like that at all. He, in fact, turned out to be perhaps more pro-life than Ronald Reagan and the most pro-life president America had ever had. Judging him on his past performance allowed no room at all for redemption, repentance, and becoming a better man. And that, after all, is what we want for ourselves, but also for our politicians, that they can learn from their mistakes, learn from their pasts, that with age comes wisdom, regret, and uh, maturation, just getting better in your character development. Uh, so let's listen to Heston tonight, see what he has to say, and uh, I, I guess take him at his word. Uh, Heston, thank you so much for joining me on Pello Talk tonight. Hey, g'day, Dave. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I, I feel like you and I need to have a long chat another time about an entirely different subject, and, and that's really one of your professional fields of expertise, specifically mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, military service. Uh, one of the things that made me really attracted to you as a candidate in that, um, in that forum was the fact that you'd served Australia with such distinction in such uh, elite roles. Would you care to give us a 
uh, a 30 to 60 second summary of that before we get to the the uh, direct questions yeah for sure i mean i grew up here in brisbane and went to the military at 17 years of age i spent four years at the defense force academy and royal military college and of my 16 years in the army nine of those were in the special forces as a officer with the second commando regiment i deployed to afghanistan four times i deployed to iraq in 2016 supporting the fight against ISIS, ISIL, Daesh. And I've also deployed on a number of other peacekeeping and capability development operations in uh, Timor-Leste, Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, and throughout the Asia-Pacific region. And uh, during my time, uh, the pinnacle of my career was probably 2012 in Afghanistan, where I was the November platoon commander, flew 67 missions in a five-month period, taking the fight to Taliban and terrorists, killing 117, capturing many more and seeing the true magnificence of the Anzac spirit alive and well within our modern day Australian veterans. And then as you spoke about my own struggles with PTSD and mental health realities during my own failed transition from defence, culminating with my own suicide ideation in 2020, which has sort of led me to reconnect with my values and initiate this new pursuit of my life uh, to support those who have serve to support us and know what can be achieved, bringing people together with purpose and looking to address a large part of the mental health crisis that currently grips our country and comes from a crisis of leadership. Yeah, um, well, firstly, thank you very much for your service. Um, it's My pleasure. It's, uh, something that can't be said often enough and I know most veterans aren't looking for that kind of thanks, but I, I think it's an important thing for us as a nation to be grateful and, and express that gratitude. And also, uh, I guess to apologize for the shameful behavior from our government and legal system, uh, the way they've uh, treated our diggers and commandos as guilty until proven innocent um, and the trial by media, which, which ensued that. Um, which entirely was prejudicial in the true sense of the word prejudicial. Uh, Dave Marich watching says 60 seconds for 16 years of service. Uh, yeah, my apologies. Um, it's, it's not the topic for tonight, but I, I am really passionate about the topic. Um, yeah. And it probably deserves either, depending how quickly we can move through this, maybe we'll, we'll cover some of it um, more uh, in 20, 30 minutes or maybe we'll make it an entirely dedicated new episode because um, what you and Andy and, and some of your other candidates uh, can inform the Australian public about is much more useful to us um, and, and to other veterans to whom we owe so much um, than what we see coming through the mainstream media. So, um, Well, Dave, I think probably the, the key point there is that, you know, I had a fantastic career and so have eight of the 10 candidates we have in the Australian Values Party, but that doesn't define us and we can't let that be the laurels through which we rest on. It's a mm. responsibility to now put that into practice. And back when I ran the commando selection course, when we handed people their berets, it came with a statement. This comes with a daily renewable contract. And that is what we need more of, in my opinion, in society, in politics and in general, is to people to go out there and be judged on their actions and attitudes each day, not who they have been and what they have achieved, because we yeah. need to remain relevant as opposed to um, you know, losing that relevance and, and reliant on our own authority or title or position or otherwise. No, very truly sped, said, and, and that is very uh, similar to, uh, I guess, what I call identity politics. Um, we shouldn't vote for you or any of your candidates because we owe you a debt of gratitude and, and might feel Absolutely. a great deal of admiration for your feats, exploits and, and qualifications. Uh, any more than we should vote for Kevin Rudd or or, or Scott Morrison um, because they claim to be Christians. That's identity politics. What we have mm -hmm. to do is scrutinise and interview. You're standing for a job um, to serve the Australian public and yep. whether you're a painter, a plumber or a politician, there's a set of criteria and your identity isn't a qualification. Uh, mm -hmm. So I appreciate that, that you offered that. Um, and... Uh, and that's also the same basis by which I guess we now need to survey the Australian Values Party values. Like, what Absolutely. do you actually believe, as opposed to what do we think you believe based on a uh, an based on an admired identity? Uh, mm -hmm. So the first 
question. I, 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 just to summarise, and without um, getting you to re-explain it, essentially you disagreed with what Israel Folau said, didn't appreciate it, found it um, offensive. Is, is that a fair summary? Well, the question asked was, um, you know, should people like Israel Folau lose their job based off um, stating what they believe in? And I believe the question missed the mark, and I spoke to specifically some of the elements that Israel Folau spoke to. And I never said he should have lost his job. I simply said that freedom of speech comes with responsibility of speech. And that's particularly what I see not enough of in this country is people who mm. are happy to say whatever they want uh, in a one-way conversation without the appreciation that that has to come with some form of responsibility, particularly when you're in a, a representational position. And I'll clear the record here and now to say that I don't think anyone should lose their job. I think they should be uh, counselled and critiqued and to have conversations in a two-way matter um, to make sure that the correct context is also provided and to progress these conversations as opposed to just see something that is typed or tweeted or stated online to be the one-dimensional measure of what is actually intended by that opinion or that conversation. Yeah. Look, I think you're 100% right. Effective communication should be all of our goals and uh, I certainly see uh, a plethora of people on my side, on you know, right-thinking right-wing, freedom-loving people even, who can be very reflexive um, and, and not very uh, civil or sincere in articulating the points that they make, even between ourselves becoming quite insulting and demeaning uh, just over points of, of disagreement. I personally think Israel Folau's um, communication was grossly misrepresented um, and the meme was not something he created. It was perhaps unfortunate and from a a um, less than civil Christian organization in America. But the accompanying text that he did write by his own hand, I thought was full of sincerity and, and compassion and, and truth. Um, and, you know, it, the transgender debate in, you know, in sport going on at the moment, truth is offensive to some people and they, they choose to be offended. Uh, and so I guess what I want to reduce this conversation to is whether it's Israel Folau, a Christian or some other identity, a, a Muslim, and whether it's something we agree with or something that we ultimately find grossly repugnant, morally um, wrong, um, would you and your party value uh, vote for and support in Parliament legislation that would uh, protect jobs like Israel Folau's? Because, and let me specifically say, the recent legislation from the coalition, the religious discrimination bill, would not. It would have failed that test, that question. That legislation that's proposed in the first, second and third drafts would not have protected Israel Folau, you know, if it was retrospective or if it had been um, available at that time. He was, his head still would have been on the chopping block. Would yeah, you absolutely. prefer legislation that protected him? Yeah, absolutely. And this is the... A dangerous place for approaching as a country whereas when we're not having these constructive conversations around these topics instead we're instead we're resorting to legislation and litigation in order to try and you know provide that, that that guidance and that moral measure to what we should be and we're called the australian values party dave because we grab the australian value statement that the department of home affairs maintains and that every person entering into australia on a visa or to become a citizen has to abide by and you know, the, the third value is equality of opportunity for all people, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, age, disability, race, or nationality or ethnic origin. And the fourth value is freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom of association, including the freedom not to allow, not to follow a particular or any religion. You know, we already have these ingrained and require those entering into our country to abide by, but those of us who have lived here um, take these things for granted and instead resort to, again, legislation or acts of parliament to govern what should be common sense in a democracy. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, there's far too much legislation. Let's come straight to the second question, which deals directly with that. Uh, as opposed to a religious discrimination bill or a religious liberty bill creating a new set of of lines that cannot be crossed when you're talking with or about a Christian and, and you know, making us a protected class at all. 
what many commentators, including myself, would like is better nothing change than introduce that terrible bill. Or even better yet, let's introduce a, a set of policies or, or bills that will unravel the discrimination industry, that will abolish the Human Rights Commission and the anti-discrimination tribunals, which perhaps had fantastic um, motives, but they've been thoroughly weaponized and their main target is freedom of speech, particularly from Christians and conservatives. Um, do you think unraveling the, disc the discrimination industry is a, uh, is a solution? Well, our, our third policy on our website policies page is actually uh, a government structure and committing to a critical review of our government structure as well as those laws that are currently established and maintained at federal and state level. And when it comes to legislation regarding to anti-discrimination, you know, we have five separate pieces of legislation that cover off on this at a federal level. And then when I come to where I'm running for a, a, a position in the Senate here in Queensland, there are seven different acts that are covered off on. And currently there is a lack of cohesion in the way in which we approach these conversations, depending upon what state we live in our country, let alone at the federal level. So we absolutely are committed to conducting a critical review and looking to even potentially abolish layers of those states' legislations that are otherwise impacting on um, these conversations at a social level and the lack of cohesion in a national conversation around these topics. And I completely agree with you and understand where you're coming from when you talk about how elements of the anti-discrimination industry have been weaponized against individual groups. I speak with groups across all of the different elements that are covered from that legislation. And there is admittedly legislation in there that is appropriate in place for the protection of children and others, but there are too much, there is too much gray area um, that can be influenced by individual agendas and taken against um, those individuals and those elements that otherwise have a contrary perception to what might be the agenda of the person providing um, the justification. And that's where I absolutely agree that we need to review this, streamline it and bring it back to uh, policy with purpose as opposed to policy based on agenda or public opinion. I think, um, I think one of the perfect ways of picturing um, illustrating uh, the, the problem with the discrimination industry is precisely what's happened uh, to our Australian Special Forces who have been brought under this cloud of suspicion and, and accusation uh, without evidence and without conviction um, with all kinds of, of punishments like revocation of, of you know, merit awards and, and commendations. Uh, the, the, I mean, despicable behavior and, and treatment of these people who haven't been found guilty of anything but only accused it's yeah. the exact same thing in uh, in the discrimination industry that the process itself is the punishment uh, that justice delayed is justice denied and we're finding that far too many people falsely accused and on, on flippant and flimsy charges are actually being punished by the process itself and and look a review is one thing but I think even just the basic rhetoric that this is completely unacceptable and it's a perversion of justice these kangaroo courts tribunals and boards of inquiries um, that take forever to accomplish anything you're probably familiar with Bernard Gaynor and the amount of time that he's been dragged are you familiar with Bernie I'm not sorry okay um Ask Andy about him. Him, him and oh. Andy are mates. Uh, your candidate okay. for the seat of McPherson, um, yeah. but essentially he's got a serial litigant making dozens of of complaints against him for hurting his feelings, all at the expense of the cost of the taxpayer, um, for years on on end, uh, with no consequences for for frivolous complaints and dismissed charges. He's basically got a blank checkbook to use uh, the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Tribunal as his own personal political police force. Uh, yeah. So, no, Dave, and you, you're spot on. Look, from what's happened, I, I started really speaking out when the Brereton report was released and the Prime Minister stood up and said there were going to be brutal truths and the Chief of Defence Force called for the revocation of the meritorious unit citations. And it wasn't from the 3,000 Special Forces personnel that struck a chord. It was from 
the 20 families of the fallen who stood to lose those honours and awards. And that was after I got a phone call from a mother who tried to take the award out of her dead son's framed um, awards on the wall and called me crying because she didn't know how to do so without just damaging the whole thing. And I stand here, um, a, a person who has an identity based on purpose. You know, I count myself in our veteran community, and that is a community that has come together from people volunteering to serve and an identity that's come from service and through purpose. And I stand here over the last two years wanting to say, hey, you know, leave my people alone. We have all these conversations about discrimination. There have been people able to go out, including our prime minister, and cast these people as guilty. Uh, before being tried in a court of law, and no one has still yet even have a single charge laid against them. We've mm. had our $1.4 billion taxpayer-funded ABC be able to come out and accuse my platoon, November platoon, of executing a hostage based on a Marine hearing a pop on a radio, putting so much of our taxpayer-funded money towards that, only to be it's issued a US Marine? A US Marine who heard a pop, and the ABC last month released an apology to me in an email, nothing publicly, saying that they'd got it wrong and he didn't actually identify any specific platoon. You know, and in order for myself and my guys to be able to defend ourselves, we have to step out from the shadows where we're kept with a protected identity status with no social media presence or any media presence to protect us and our families from the real world factors of those terrorists and bad people that we were fighting against to defend ourselves. Yeah. And at the moment, I have a perfect case for defamation. I can take the ABC to the court with, but I can't afford to do that and run a political campaign. And the cost of justice in this country can only be afforded by those who can afford that litigation, as opposed to these systems actually being there to defend and support those who are innocent um, before being proven guilty. And our second Australian value is commitment to the rule of law, which includes the presumption of innocence. And otherwise, we see this, um, you know, walked all over and trodden all over. And that's why we are here having part of these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's deal with, uh, I, I guess, that cloud hanging over your head that uh, you may not be able to shake for a long time. And, and much to your disappointment, we'll perhaps need to answer again after tonight. But Sorry. for this audience, uh, for those people who, who haven't heard uh, your position on those past bad choices um, that that uh, we may know about. Um, you mentioned at the beginning in, in your uh, brief introduction that you went through some really dark times uh, last year and some, uh, some serious mental health issues, including um, suicidal ideation. Uh, and I'm really sorry uh, that you went through that. And I'm really happy um, that you're doing better now. And I, I hope that, that journey continues to Im improve for you. Um, but will you please tell the viewers, uh, is consensual, private uh, exchange of, of, um, of uh, naked photos, sexual photos on the internet, um, a Australian value that your party seeks to protect or promote? No, it's not. And look, that was that was 2020. Um, in for those who aren't familiar with the story, in um, March, April, May uh, 2020, um, I, when COVID first hit our country, I went through a period where um, I ended a relationship that I'd been in with for four years. I lost my employment, and I was working for a veterans charity uh, through which we also fell on tough times. And I tried to uh, support them through a fundraising initiative that saw me open up an OnlyFans account. And that OnlyFans account was jovial uh, and PG in nature. There is a public facing wall like you have your Instagram feed, but then there's also a private messaging function through which over the course of the next four weeks of having that account, uh, fully intending for it to be um, clean and PG, uh, I was corrupted by people offering thousands of dollars for me to show uh, more than just the jovial pictures I was. And I exchanged some uh, pictures of myself naked uh, in uh, in order for uh, payment and tips to be paid back and ended up raising $15,000 for that veteran's charity. And you'll see ABC reporting stating that that wasn't paid over a year later, but it was. And there's currently, again, defamation action sitting lying in wait against those. But that came from a place of, you know, me 
wanting to validate my purpose and being able to support that organization through to also desiring and requiring affirmation at a time when I was my most loneliness out of the relationship in lockdown in COVID in Sydney, um, facing my loss of accommodation, facing my loss of income, facing um, having to foreclose on a number of negatively geared investment properties I can no longer afford. And mental health is not my excuse. It is a reality. Uh, and I was dealing with a lot that saw my actions go in a way in which I wish they didn't. And I never intended on raising a political party in uh, March, April, May of 2020. And when I led to my suicidal ideation in August of 2020, my pathway out from that has been reconnecting with those values that saw me in constant comparison to what I call the best version of myself as a commando platoon commander leading my men in Afghanistan in 2012. I had such proactive layers of resilience where the mission and the team always came before myself. On each of those 67 missions, I never feared for my own life. Whereas these days, you know, I'll pray to God 17 times when I hit turbulence flying from Brisbane to Sydney. And I was mm -hmm. trying to understand how I had got to where I had, and I thought that I needed those same circumstances to make me feel that same level of relevance and um, connection with my identity again. But what I did was a critical assessment and actually appreciate it was those values and those elements of myself that I was most proud of in those circumstances, responsibility, accountability, integrity, leadership and service, as opposed to what so much of Australian society wants us to behave otherwise as entitled, selfish, abdicating responsibility as opposed to accepting it and seeking self-promotion as opposed to supporting others. And it's been climbing out from that. And literally that acronym RAILS is now my personal value set. And then looking to further support my veteran community over the last 18 months, and then looking to step up this political party when I appreciated that the true issue within our political system are the big parties, the factions, and their self-promotion and self-promoting politics. I Googled what our Australian values are, because without agreed an agreed set of values, how can we quantify and, and assess how we do what we do? We're so focused on KPIs and performance outcomes, budgets, which are a method of management, not a strategy of leadership. And I found the Australian value statement. We literally have seven values that we require everyone coming into Australia on a visa or to become a citizen to sign and agree to these values. And most of us who don't live here don't know that. But every migrant Australian I meet who knows these values can recite them to me. And they are what help them to connect with our country, with our different communities, and help them to feel like they have some form of an investment and responsibility in our country. And that is where the Australian Values Party came from. And to get back to answering your question directly, Dave, no. You know, if any member of my party went and, and sold pictures of themselves online naked right here and now in the party, I would throw them out. I would remove myself from the party. I can't change the past, but I tell you what, I've lived a long life before leading into politics. You can imagine all the things I've had to do in my special forces career mm. through to my own personal circumstances. And if anything, that provides me with more and more perspective that I believe that I can better serve and support people in government because I know who I am at my best and my worst. And I know that I need people and purpose to support me, not politics or profit. Well answered, and, and thank you for your honesty in that, and, and thank you for your graciousness in being willing to answer the question over and over again. Um, Dave Garrett watching says, the reality is that if our lives were projected on the big screen, we would all be found wanting. We need to look at our lives over long periods rather than the blips of frailty that interrupt our true purpose. Uh, I agree, Dave, and um, I've, I've thought to myself, um, who I am, my identity, is not the cumulative uh, sum of, of the decisions I've made and, and who I've been in the past, um, but it's actually who I'm becoming uh, and the decisions I, I make today. And, and that's who God sees. Um, now, to be clear, uh, we need to have a different posture when we're considering considering a political uh, candidate to when we meet somebody in the pub or in church. 
very, very different postures. Political conversations require uh, hard conversations uh, about truths, values, ethics, policies. Uh, but pastoral or friendship conversations um, need to be much more gracious and much more uh, tolerant and, um, and forgiving. And, and that was, I think, what Jesus managed to do very well when he spoke to the woman who was caught in her own sexual sin. Um, he refused to be part of what the law demanded and, and that was executing her. Um, in as much as he asked the person who thought they were perfect to, to go first. But nevertheless, when they all disappeared in, in shame of understanding their own sinfulness, he said to her in a way she could not mistake that she should go and stop it, stop that mm -hmm. sexual sin. Uh, there was no shortage of judgment from him to her. She understood completely where she stood before God. Uh, and at the same time, he was famous as the friend of sinners. Um, it's perfectly possible for those two truths to coexist in, in the one person. Um, and so when we're talking about uh, the standards, uh, the values that we should live by, we can both be firm on those and gracious to the people we encounter at the same time. Uh, so, Dave, thanks for that that comment. Um, let's just... I think jumping, jumping, jumping on that comment very quickly, Dave, just if I can. Yeah, sure. Heston, go ahead. I would just love for, for people to really appreciate where we're at at the moment um, as a nation in our media and our politics, whereby, you know, I've, I've served over 16 years in our military, over 100 combat missions, some of those that are just... The things that I wish we knew more about in our society that would inspire us and connect us with purpose. Um, yet all that we currently have are elements like our taxpayer-funded ABC who look to focus on those one or two um, blemishes or failures that I've had in my career to focus on and try to influence people um, as opposed to focus on balanced reporting as per their charter uh, to look to best support um, a positive and progressive outcome for our nation. And that's been one of the true realities of the evil that I see currently gripping our society um, and have had first-hand witness to and that's a large part of the reason why I think we need to have these conversations we need to bring more light to them and put them in that context of what's actually going on as we at the moment watch two political parties being those only parties that are currently projected onto the big screen in front of us whereas people like yourself Dave and I appreciate you for doing so there are so many fantastic people out there who should be in politics like you'll get to meet Andy Cullen, um, who inspires me, you know, and helps to me to be a better leader and helps our team to be a better mm. team. But, you know, he, I think he had 10 seconds on Channel 7 throughout this entire last four weeks. But he is someone who our future generations and our current generations can look up to and be inspired by if we were actually concerned about bettering our nation. Instead, we're caught up in political games, watching prime ministers percolate coffees and um, you know talking about everything else that is irrelevant to the true fabric um, of our society and uh, these are all the things that we need to fix and you know our second policy david is uh government and media accountability and i ask people to go and have a read of how we actually take these great philosophical statements and put them into policies and how we're going to actually focus on those um, within parliament I'm just uh, trying to pull up your party now, australianvaluesparty.com.au. Australianvalues.org.au. .org.au. Um, oh, I've got to spell it properly. Thank you, everyone, for your patience. Um, Australian values. There we go. Here it comes. All right, let's put us both on screen so it's more friendly, share screen, tab, bring accountability back, turn off audio, there we go. The wonders um, of modern technology. Our yeah, policies. Our policies. And um, if you, look, we've got our platform policies, which are two videos there, Defence and Veterans and Future Australians, for those Australians who just like a short five-minute introduction, but here we have our policies literally set out in order and our first policy there dave is our workforce policy where we require higher standards of our individuals including random drug and alcohol testing mandatory leadership and professional development training each year 
360 degree reporting. Then we have our media and accountability, as we spoke about beforehand. And, um, you know, this comes from a place like Andy and myself know and many others within our party who appreciate that our nation and members within our country uh, have been traumatised, have felt abused, have felt abandoned, have felt let down by our government systems over the last two years from COVID mandates through to robo-debt, aged care disasters, bushfires, the Brereton report, the floods, it's all listed in there. And yep. unless we actually go through and pick through these and draw light to them and hold accountability, people will not be able to move forward, heal and have trust back in our politics. And all the way through to, and there'll be more policies, they're literally getting updated um, tonight and tomorrow once my... There's a, there's a really good one. All gun laws and firearm ownership, responsible firearms ownership in accordance with current legislation that allows law-abiding... So uh, oh, that's a little bit discouraging to me. I like more liberal gun laws. Sorry, if you if you click on all of these, you can actually go all the way into them. And uh, look, yep. the, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on of gun laws, but uh, in particular, you know, yeah. we have this this big issue of um, legislation and regulation in our country being disproportionate based on it being it covering an entire state. For instance, I'm here in Queensland, and to have the same legislation requirements for Brisbane. Um, as up in, uh, you know, Bob Catter's electorate of uh, Kennedy. Um, that's why we start to have these issues and, um, you know, being mature as opposed to um, carrying stigmas into these conversations is what we need to do. And I mean, you'll even see yeah. our, our client policy. We've actually done mapping of the French model that actually sees nuclear energy being our preferred option moving forward. And we have all the science there. And um, look, we, we're not looking to take over the country and be prime minister. We're looking to get in there, achieve the balance of power, apply our pragmatic approach, justifying every policy and build against the Australian value statement and then against our strategic priorities um, mm. and working to show people the difference as opposed to just talk about it like you see too much. Yep. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm warming to your party. Um, I've got to look through some of those, um, to those policies. Now, Trevor Hunt asks an important question. What do you think about the values articulated in the Ten Commandments um, I, love it. I grew up, I am, just so people know, my mother named me Heston after Charlton Heston. She had a crush on him. And I grew up <laughs> watching, I grew up watching Charlton Heston as Moses and Ben-Hur. And um, absolutely, look, people don't realise that I grew up um, in a loving family in the church, in the Uniting Church. My father is one of the most devout Christians I know. Uh, my family, uh, he and my mother divorced when I was 10 years old and my father has stood for his marriage his entire life and has been such a an incredible mentor for me wow. really seeing how he served 34 years in our military himself deploying twice to afghanistan twice to iraq and mm -hmm. i maintain a brilliant relationship with both my mother and my father and um, i grew up devout to my christian values and i definitely wavered on those particularly as i went through my own personal crisis with my own sexuality it's no secret that I am a gay man and I'm happy to talk to that and I rejected my sexual identity my entire life I never uh, accepted it I literally tried everything I could to change um, what I thought was an absolute sin was a desire of the flesh was everything that stood against those values that I was brought up and raised to be and it really impacted me throughout my life but never impacted my career and I never brought it into my military life and um, I know that you have your views on this day, but I stand here as someone with lived experience saying, you know, it's not a choice and I've tried to change it. And if there's anything you should know about me, um, I'm usually able to achieve and change anything um, for myself or for others when it comes from that place of purpose and service. And that's just the one thing I couldn't change. And I'm now empowered by that. But I believe the Ten Commandments are a, a brilliant value set um, that I was brought up on and that I aspire to abide by um, and uh, definitely are as relevant today as they were back when they were first written in stone yeah absolutely and uh, i guess that's the the shorter answer that we're looking for uh look, <laughs> sorry i um no the long answers are good long answers are good um but um they're usually more revealing uh look i i would have preferred um the atheist prime minister julia gillard who was living in sin in a you know uh, non um, God-pleasing relationship with her boyfriend when she was Prime Minister. I would have rathered her as Prime Minister 
because she was a defender of God's values for marriage. Rather than the heterosexually married Christian church attending Kevin Rudd, who directly uh, in his role as prime minister, attacked the institution of marriage and and threw cold water on on the value of scripture on live tv on the abc um, so their personal lives uh, to me aren't important because what i'm looking for is their performance as a politician uh, and so it's the policy questions which are most important um, to me on on those issues um, when, you, when, you, when you say threw water on the <clears throat> Oh, he um, was asked by a pastor on Q&A um, why he was changing his mind on, on marriage and going from defending the traditional definition, God's definition, the biblical definition, to the undefinition. Um, then he basically uh, criticized uh, the pastor's understanding of, of what Scripture says and compared it to uh, what he claimed falsely and ignorantly to the Apostle Paul advocating for slavery, uh, which, which is just ludicrous in, in, its, um, in its silliness. So that's what I mean by he poured cold water on, okay. on um, whatever I said. Okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what Paul said. What is your, what is your stance on gay marriage? Uh, Jesus was asked a question about marriage um, by the religious leaders of the day. And he asked them, haven't you read that in the beginning, God created the um, God created the male and female, and He told them uh, it basically. And I'm, I can't remember the exact quotation, but He He quoted the Gen Genesis narrative that God designed two genders to complement and to be married together, to be uh, joined together complementarily uh, for their entire lives as one flesh. Uh, and to populate and and reproduce uh, and and fill the earth, um, that was Jesus. Um, sorry, I got my dog here. <laughs> uh, that was that was Jesus um, confirming and affirming the uniqueness and exclusivity of God's design uh, for sexuality and gender um, from the beginning. And consistent through Old Testament and, and New Testament. So, um, no, there's there's only God's definition of marriage, um, and I'm perfectly happy for uh, civil government to uh, regulate other relationships um, for the purpose um, that government needs to. But uh, I just wish they wouldn't call it marriage because that definition's already taken. Gotcha. I mean, then this is the unique situation, and I appreciate everyone's opinions and this is going to be the, the difficult task for myself and my team moving forward into politics you know people like yourself you know I'm assuming if you had the ability you would not have um, gay marriage recognized within our constitution as it took to referendum correct me if I'm wrong oh well, that didn't legally happen they did a plebiscite and uh, changed some legislation um, yeah but yeah the, the legislation yeah. not referendum yeah gotcha so, for instance, whereby, you know, over 60% of the Australian population voted for that. And this is the whole nature of democracy. And I completely understand the conversation can go into, you know, compromising on, on biblical values. But, um, you know, this is the difficult part that I sort of have, you know, particularly taking my personal value set in and trying to abide by our Australian value statement and then having to put our different communities and their different um, value sets together to provide that united purpose. And, um, you know, I... Also I think, um, Heston, probably the thing that most Christians are looking, this is what I advocate we look for, uh, because mm -hmm. getting a consensus on, on that is probably hard within Christianity, let alone within broader Australia. Um, but here's the thing I think that's a really good place to start, and that is to acknowledge that God is real and that he is the moral lawgiver. Uh, the journey that we can then take together is to pursue his truth and his values. And if we just start with acknowledgement that that's the goal, um, disagreeing on the way is not a break of unity. It's a break of uniformity. We're not in the same page, but at least we've um, got the same destination and we're, we're trying to get there together. Um, so You're right. That's that purpose piece. And this is what we see at the moment. 
I believe in Australia, you know, without that purpose and without that national identity, we end up becoming communities in conflict. And that's where I firmly believe that the role of a government is to act um, to provide that purpose through leadership as a service. And you hope to bring communities together to form a national identity. And that is definitely, um, as you've stated uh, in, in your terms and in my language, uh, our intent and our purpose, absolutely. Yeah. So what is in the Constitution um, is the, um, the preamble uh, to the legislation that authorised the, the Constitution. Um, it, it says, you know, uh, whereas the people of New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania, uh, humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God, resolve to form the Commonwealth, blah, blah, blah. But that clause, humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God, was a late addition because there's no other acknowledgement of, of God or, or official declaration of Christianity in the Constitution. It's very, very deliberately basically neutral on the topic, saying, uh, believe what you want, but live by these laws. Um, there's, you know, we're not secular, uh, as Scott Morrison said in his uh, maiden speech, and we're not Christian. We're a free country. You, you do what you want, but just be good to everybody. Um, but at that time, the population was so popularly, uh, affectionately Christian uh, that they had to have an acknowledgement of God in the Constitution or it never would have passed the referendums and, and the, the votes uh, in every state to approve the, the Constitution in, in the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, and so they had to insert that, humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God. Um, that's uh, the foundation of our nation. And, and yeah, the population has perhaps majority lost that. And that's why we've got a government right now that has lost that. And the government who thinks that they are the highest authority in the universe and they get to supersede and violate human rights on a whim and when it's convenient. Um, by the same token, uh, when marriage was put in the Constitution, uh, there was a very um, common understanding of it at that time and a faithful high court and uh, reading of the constitution would actually say that the word marriage in there only has one possible definition as it uh, was understood at the time that it was written. That is what those people were trying to communicate with that word. Um, and so that's, I think, the fabric of, of who we are. Again, I, I don't want anybody to be denied financial access to the, you know, their sexual partner's superannuation or or life decisions if they're in hospital and unable to communicate, you know, that's all that's all good. You you do that. It's just just the word marriage. And look, the church probably surrendered that ground long ago by becoming agents of the government to uh, you know, regulate marriage and record them. They should have just said, look, we do the solemnization, you go to the um, the marriage registry for whatever um, they want to do, but our business is is not to do that. Let, let's not get bogged down on on that debate. Um, I think that issue isn't one that's being um, uh, you know uh, pursued in in this election. And and I'd rather pursue sure. some of the things that people are asking re representation for in the next three years. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think the most pressing issues are freedom. Uh, liberty, lockdowns and mandates are probably the two biggest things um, that have happened in the last few years that we're looking for different politicians to give us better decisions on. Where does your party stand on that? The first Australian value is respect for the freedom and dignity of the individual. And uh, we've gone further on our purpose page where we've actually turned these Australian values into our Bill of Rights and Responsibilities. And that value also includes uh, personal choice and the freedom to make your own health decisions. And uh, this is where we have critiqued the last two years where we've had professional and career politicians believing that they can make policy and strategic statements that direct everyday Australians how to look after themselves and their families. And this is where this moral injury, trauma, abuse, abandonment has been created within our society and led people more devastated and our nation in more of a mental health crisis than we've ever been in. I myself was down in Sydney running a organic food shop with my sister when COVID hit and I was told by politicians that I wasn't able to 
maintain a 60 square meter shop and my six staff yet i'd previously been entrusted with 30 to 150 men in war zones including chemical biological nuclear and radiological um, threats uh, and that is where i realized that we have become so hung up on reinforcing the authority of politicians and unelected officials to mandate things including the closing of borders tearing people and families apart and again, per our second policy, government and media accountability, there needs to be accountability cast for those actions, but also systemic changes made that remove the ability for that to occur again. And this is where we go to our third policy, our government structure policy, where we are asking those questions and looking at those critical reviews to say, why do we have different laws on our health, depending upon what state people live in? We are all Australians, and I get that was where it was back when Federation was formed, but now, here and now, what we've learned and what we do in the military is assess and reassess once we do a mission, go through crisis, failure or success, and look at making those systemic fixes. And I believe, and the party believes, that we need to remove the ability for states to make laws on people's health and education at the state level and bring them back to federal laws that include all of our nation as opposed to individual state agendas and priorities. Mm, I disagree with that one. I'm a big believer in state sovereignty uh, as, as a competitive marketplace for democracy to sort out bad policies and ideas. I, I think a, a homogenized, centralized approach to education and health is a race to the bottom. Uh, the, the worst possible lowest common denominator being uh, mandated. Uh, I think people who want to live in a hellhole should go to Victoria and people who want to live in paradise should come to Queensland. Um, but then at least... Do you think that's where we're already at as a nation. You know, there's conversation in New South Wales about what should or should not be allowed within their education system, whereas these are already conversations that still be standardised. No, there's a national level. curriculum. Um, yeah, and, there is. And, and national funding of, of these things. And I mean, certainly we need to end the duplication and redundancies that's, that's built into it all. Um, but um, the national curriculum has to go. Uh, there, there should be cooperation and communication, but not uh, centralisation, um, if, if that's what, what you're alluding to. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, law and order and, and those issues. I, look, honestly, I think the federal government's the one that needs to be reduced the most, and we have departed from our constitution uh, through successive uh, premiers ceding authority uh, and centralising uh, things like wages, um, and also through successive high court decisions. Anytime the Commonwealth comes up against the states, uh, the high court imagines um, federal rights being bigger and bigger and bigger than our founding fathers imagined them to be. Uh, but what I value, what, you know, reassessing and um, measuring where we're at, like you said, is, is a strategically smart thing to do. But what's strategically foolish is to come unmoored uh, from those values, from our identity. And that's but, um, articulated and established in yeah. a constitution. Well, you don't think the last two years we've actually deviated from that constitution. I would actually say that the states have gained more power and authority from the federal government, and that has actually been challenged in the high courts, and the states have actually won against the federal government. We, you know, when we come to mandates, we should never be having these conversations about border closures because, per the constitution, quarantine at our federal border is a federal jurisdiction and regulation, and instead that was Great. abdicated to the states. So, yep. if we're not actually holding them accountable and abiding by our constitutional law, yeah, and that was why. Morrison's cowardice, he, he could have. Um stuck to and, and joined Palmer's case against Mark McGowan um, and he joined initially but then withdrew and the High Court goes, oh well this isn't important to uh, the Commonwealth Government um, therefore you know that, that was a strong signal that they didn't believe in the case. Um, yeah. So that that is, you're right, um, states have got more power. Uh, unfortunately it was only for the abuse of power uh, and, and not for the proper use of, of that power. Um, sure. Yeah, so uh, the last two years aren't a, a good argument for anything, really, because it's been a complete corruption um, uh, of, of everything that should be. Um, I mean, parliament's suspended because people, 
you know, I mean, how, how do you sustain an emergency for 18 months without parliamentary approval? How, I mean, what's the point of even having an opposition um, if they're not going to demand accountability and transparency on, on all this uh, rule by bureaucracy? It's, it's um, absolutely uh, appalling what's happened for the last two years. And what we need is much less government. I think what we need is much less bureaucrats and much more highly trained mm. and proficient politicians. I mean, even have a look at the moment, you have immunity laws being passed at state layers of government. I mean, how on earth are we allowing immunity laws to be passed in this country? We're having you know, suppressions and seals placed on documents for, for 70 plus years. You know, these are oh, all you the mean things political that... immunity? Political Legal immunity. immunity. Legal immunity. So you have a look at right, the latest right. legislation that passed through the, the Victorian court, something providing, you know, legal immunity for officials with co with decisions made to, to COVID. You know, these are the things that tear at the fabric of democracy and law and order. Yeah. These are things that are being allowed to pass through and enter into our um, laws at the state and hopefully not the constitutional level. Yeah. Uh, we're going to uh, ask two more questions, then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, let me just say thank you to the Good Source supporters, people who dip into their pocket every week or month to financially contribute to the ongoing work that we're doing here full time. Let me tell you that uh, Good Source supporters are making it possible for this Wednesday night to have uh, one of the uh, Australian Values Party uh, federal candidates, uh, federal electorate candidates, plus another three candidates. So we've got a, an Australian Values Party candidate, a United Australia Party candidate, a One Nation Party candidate, and a Liberal Democrats candidate, all going to be here with me in the studio. Uh, they're all from different parties and all from different electorates, and they're all conservative, freedom-loving Christians. So that'll be really interesting to have a chat with them. Make sure you tune in. Same place that you're watching this right now, 7.30 on Wednesday night, Australian Eastern Standard Time. And uh, if you'd like to become a Good Source supporter, head to goodsource.news forward slash support. But uh, the last two questions, uh, a quick one first, and then we'll uh, go with the longer one. Philippa says, will you allow conscience voting by your candidates? Uh, some or all the time or none? So not only will we allow this in our first policy, our AVP workforce policy, it specifically states that every member of the Australian Values Party is allowed to vote how they choose. They just have to abide by the rest of that policy that sees them engage in our uh, team planning and in our professional uh, mandated uh, professional development each year. Absolutely. Groovy. Okay, second question. Uh, how does AVP see their responsibility internationally for countries that are in conflict and chaos? I mean, I guess they mean by their responsibility, Australia's responsibility. Uh, Myanmar is one of those countries that are now being plunged into a military dictatorship who are executing ethnic minorities. Every country seems to be sitting on the sidelines rather than engaging in the strategic change for the benefit of the persecuted. This could be a long discussion. Um, there's I'll been a quick. lot of interventionism over recent decades. Uh, the Australian military has been a regrettable part of some, and, uh, and that's never been the decision of the members participating um, obediently to our government. Um, and again, thank you for your service. Um, we're you know, sending uh, arms right now to Ukraine, and we're seeing other hotspots around. We're seeing China uh, setting up military base in the Solomon Islands. Uh, how much of it is a moral responsibility and even a at-home responsibility, caring for our own security interests to get involved uh, around the world, Heston? Well, Dave, you just made that question a lot bigger. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you, you know, first and foremost, you talk about moral responsibility. And my decision to raise the Australian Values Party came after watching the collapse of Afghanistan and the failure to support those who supported us overseas and we still haven't mm. supported them ongoing. Um, I, my first deployment with the army was actually to East Timor where in 1999 our country led an intervention to support the people of East Timor from being um, persecuted and murdered by the Indonesians and particularly the last year or 18 months watching what's happened in Myanmar it's been very hard to sit back and watch and, and wonder what's going on and ask the questions such as, you know, why are we supporting and reinforcing organisations like the United Nations when they're not stepping forward to do mm. their job? 
and providing these interventions. And we need to useless nations. We need to move forward uh, and reassess our participation and support to such organisations based on um, actual quantifiable outcomes and um, and tasks and job descriptions. Because at the moment, otherwise, we are just being beholden to these globalist organisations without them actually serving, supporting our nation and our interests. Uh, through to 2013, my role was to travel around the Asia-Pacific region to integrate with our embassies and high commissions and conduct special operations activities in countries like um, the Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea, specifically Honiara and Daru. And Daru is where the Chinese have announced in the last year that they want to um, create a billion dollar commercial fishing facility. And we need to be so much more proactive in our foreign affairs and our foreign policy. And you'll see that via our website, but not just in militarily terms, it's more so in those ways and means that actually help to do what is Cold War policy practiced by the US in South America winning over the hearts and minds of those peoples within our region. And one of our policies is stepping up a full-time humanitarian assistance and disaster relief force to better provide a buffer for our military to get back to its primary role, to better support Australians here at home, and to be there to actually convert the billions of dollars of Australian taxpayer-funded aid into training educated uh, and upskilling young Australians to go and provide that support on the ground and win over those connections at the community level. We also believe in establishing a digital um, uh, system that allows more Australians to be able to engage in the conversations surrounding our formation of policy and decisions at government level. Um, a civil assembly, you'll actually see it on one of our policies, the government structure policy. You know, we need to actually, I believe, look at, and I don't have the solution, but we are working on options, mechanisms through which the Australian public can actually have more of a say in where we actually decide to commit our troops, particularly overseas. The role of a defence force is to defend our nation and our interests, and we need to reposture, reorientate, and refocus our efforts, including our industry, uh, in order to do so. And defence and veterans policy is our capstone policy in the Australian Values Party. And we are currently not equipped and not on a guide path to equip ourselves to provide what is our third strategic priority, self-sufficient security within our region, because we are focused on offshore commitments and alliances far, far away. We need to repost and refocus on our region because Taiwan is not going to be the uh, Ukraine of our region. It is not going to be the red flag event. It is going to be something like the Solomon Islands or Papua New Guinea, something much closer to home where there is a much less permissive and less hardened population ready to defend themselves like Taiwan and one that is more susceptible to that foreign influence and particularly that economic power that we cannot compete with when it comes to China. So we need to do what we do best as a nation, be manoeuvrable, harness our best exportable commodity, which is our Australian people, and look to win over those communities within our Asia-Pacific region. And Dave, many of those are built on good Christian morals and values and are by their nature designed adverse to the influence of communism and we need to look to better influence and reinforce those ties at the human level and that requires lived experience and emotional intelligence and everything that the members of the Australian Values Party look, are looking to bring into government. Thank you. Um, I encourage everybody to go visit the website on the screen now australianvalues.org.au especially their policies page. You can get there quicker just by typing forward slash policies at the end of the URL. But go to their website and uh, look, there is plenty of time. And now... They appear to be frozen. Vote your... I'm guessing, I'm guessing people might still be able to see me, but I think you're all frozen, Dave. Have big government. Uh... Is it me? Always happens, Ronnie. Questions or any? There we go. Hopefully I'm back.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, Dave seems to be frozen, but I want to thank everyone for your time. I really appreciate the conversations. If you would like to contribute to any of these conversations, please go to our website. You can comment on any of our policies. Please send us an email, hello at australianvalues.org.au. And again, we are a young party. We are in this for the right reasons. We have an incredible amount of uh, lived experience through our 10 candidates. And please tell all those you know in the other states of Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria and Western Australia, where we're all running Senate teams and they can vote for the Australian Values Party above the line. Encourage them to use their preferences and help us to get more of our team in politics. Uh, and if you are voting in the lower house, please, as you heard, Andy Cullen for our seat of McPherson. He is the guy who needs to be in there, along with our candidate for Blair, Maria Pittman, our candidate for Wide Bay, Daniel Williams, and our candidate down in Couillon, David Connolly. So please get behind them, support them. If you can, please donate to their campaigns. They are all, and we are all completely self-funded uh, in this journey. But please, if you can't afford anything else, please cast your vote. Vote for the Australian Values Party and please help us to spread the word. I'm going to sign off there, but again, you can get in contact with me via our website and looking forward to continue these conversations. And thanks, Dave. I'll link in with you after. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.